Well, hello, and welcome to episode five of Electrifying AI, a podcast series focused upon the electric power industry. My name is Simon Hughes from SAS, and I will be your host today. And as in previous episodes, I'm joined by our resident industry expert, Sal Gill. Hello, Sal, and greetings from the UK. Hello, Simon, and happy Turkey Day week, sorry, from our end. <laughs> well, indeed, yes, it's, it's that time, isn't it? So uh, just to remind folks where we're actually speaking from, I'm, I'm based in northwest England, and Sal, where are you? I'm in Phoenix, Arizona. It's Phoenix, Arizona, of course it is. Now, later this week, it is Thanksgiving in the USA, so best wishes to you, Sal, and to all my SAS colleagues and our US listeners and viewers. Uh, and actually, I really like Thanksgiving, even though I'm British, and that's because I get no emails for at least two days. Um, and we've just started getting Black Friday deals, which I guess is a, a big feature of Thanksgiving for you. Um, uh, I, but you go crazy for turkey and we don't. We, we do it at Christmas. I'm just going to say you and me both, Simon. So I like that quiet <laughs> period in the middle. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yes, it's a nice, peaceful time. I hope. Anyway, but have a wonderful time. Thank you. you and anyone watching. Um, so in this podcast series, Sal and I, we, we aim to keep things pretty informal and only loosely scripted. And we sort of, as we explore a whole range of, of issues, and you'll get to hear and see some informed commentary, not necessarily from me, but almost certainly from Sal. Uh, but the title of our fifth episode is called Your Next Greatest Investment. And it's really to do with electric vehicles and how they are becoming an ever more compelling proposition. And the coronavirus pandemic has seen global carbon emissions slashed by more than 8%, uh, which is obviously very, very significant. So is clean energy transport just around the corner and in some way accelerated by COVID? So Sal, I just mentioned um, the reduction. So greenhouse gases is, is perhaps where we'll start then. So, so Sal, we thinking about the reduction in greenhouse gases covid very few planes in the sky very few cars on the road um the, tell us about how the power industry and transportation have contributed to greenhouse gas emissions in well, currently and in the past and presumably they have been a significant contributor have they yeah well let's let's look at the us uh first and if we look at our environment here um and and look at the economy in different sectors so the two major contributing sectors um to this greenhouse gas emissions uh, equation have been the electricity sector and the transportation right. sector. And Simon, combined, mm-hmm. these two sectors are uh, outputting almost 50, the contribution is almost 57%. Uh, that's in the USA. That, in, yes. the, in the US, that, that, that's a huge right. number. Um, so there's a lot of interest uh, as a result, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in, in finding ways and, and means to uh, reduce that carbon burden that these industries have today. Um, but if we look at it from a global perspective, um, we're looking at almost, uh, you know, uh, still a significant chunk uh, coming out from the transportation sector, uh, but it's not yeah. as as much, um, uh, uh, well, significant chunk from transportation and electric sector, but it's it's not as big of a uh, proportion as it is in the U.S. Yes, yeah, so the numbers I saw, Sal, from the from the more the material, the very the, the large amount of material you sent me to read. Um, so in the um, globally, transport is about fourteen percent of the, of the overall total, and which is which is sort of forty percent when combined with the power industry. But in the US, the power industry stays the same, but transport doubles. Mm-hmm. And so I guess transportation in the US, presumably, that's the the heavy reliance on vehicles and and fossil fuels, really. Yeah. Um, is that the, is that how the U.S. picture is perhaps much more distorted than the rest of the world picture? Yeah, we're you know we're we're heavy um, uh, consumers of of personal vehicles for one. Um, you of know, course. we have a massive road infrastructure network, 
Um, you have a very big country too, let's be fair. <laughs> There's a lot of you and it's a very big space. And, and we're pretty big, yes. And, you know, yeah. if, if let's say, let's compare this to Europe uh, where, you know, there is a lot of trains, there's a lot of public transportation. Public transport, yeah. Um, and, and that that may be impacting the numbers that we're seeing as well. Uh, just, just, that di- just that one dynamic alone. Well, you guys would probably fly city to city, whereas in, the, in Europe you could mm. quite comfortably get a train. Exactly, yep. So, so that must probably be that would be a part of it, and um, and just just to touch on greenhouse gases, I mean there are a number of greenhouse gases. Carbon dioxide is is obviously one, but there are others, aren't there? Yeah, I mean, car- absolutely. Carbon dioxide is one. Methane is another one. Um, yeah. Nitrous oxide, sometimes called NOx, um, is another one. And yes. then we have uh, sulfur oxide as well, or better known as SOx in the industry. Um, gotcha. So, yes, these are all under that you know GHG umbrella, um, global greenhouse gases. Uh, umbrella mm-hmm. and each has a has an you know detrimental impact um, towards yes. climate change. So it would be good for our world to get a better handle on these emissions. Oh, absolutely, and that it's yes, absolutely. That's been a sort of a, an accelerating sort of viewpoint for for, mm-hmm. for some years. Well, well, speaking of that, then let's move into the sort of the political space because there is, if you like, a new political agenda. Mm-hmm. on the go. Uh, we've talked before in the previous episodes about how sort of forward-thinking companies, you know, the Microsoft and the Ubers and others, and, and and airlines, surprisingly to me at least, have sort of not jumped on the bandwagon, but they've come out and said, you know, we're going to do this thing, we're going to aim for carbon neutrality by by X. I think it's 2030, 2040, that sort of thing. We haven't spoken so much about governments and sort of regulatory frameworks, but I see from the, from the materials you've sent me just in the last week or two, there are now some aggressive goals in this area, um, being announced by governments around the world. And um, we started off, well, at least the reading you sent me, started off with what's going on in California, which I know sort of tends to, if you like, go first Mm -hmm. and set the bar, and then the rest of the US perhaps sort of falls into line because presumably they have the biggest problems with smog and they they have the most people, I guess, in in terms of a state. So let's start with California. What what are they doing? And then let's touch on some of these others that, that have come through. So, so California recently passed a, a really interesting um, uh, legislation, which is basically saying that by 2035, they want to have all all new sales of cars um, will be basically uh, zero emission vehicles. They don't want to be selling any more uh, combustion uh-huh. engine type vehicles in 2035. So that's a pretty aggressive mandate. And, and they've done that for... Yeah. Um, you know, personal vehicles and and in um, that category category of electric vehicles, but separately, California has also uh, set a period uh, um, to turn the same thing on um, on large trucks, uh, where they yes. want that trucking industry to also go electric. And for that, I I believe they've quoted a, a, a twenty twenty four as the year where they want to see all new. Uh, trucks um, or a proportion of those new trucks be electric. Yeah, I think it's transitioning from, isn't it? There's yep. a, there's a period after 2024 where it, where it becomes a bigger and bigger part, but that's where they start. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. again, uh, a, a bold statement from California, and presumably because, as I said, does California then influence policy across the US because it's so sort of a it's it's, it's so big sense. and um, you know it's uh, California in itself is is is, is you know a, a, one, one can consider a, a major player in, a, in, in the global economic sphere. It's almost a country and an economy of its own in a way, it, isn't it? it yes. Exactly. So when when these guys are making these moves, um, it certainly um, one in, in the United States it dictates the other states to look into similar things. And there is a program called um, Zero Emission Vehicles. 
which yeah. is a coalition of, I believe, 10 or 11 states, and California is one of them. Uh, some there, there's some states from the the Northeast that are part of it, and and all of right. them have a similar sort of mandate that they're working towards. Uh, some have given out very specific timelines. Uh, others have said, right. you know, uh, specific quantity of vehicles need to be on the roads that are that are zero emission vehicles, and and it's also important to define what we mean by zero emission vehicles. Zero emission vehicles means there are no emissions, <laughs> um, in terms yeah. of, um, you know, some of the, some of the, um, gases that we we're talking about previously. So, um, yeah. so that's no hybrids, no nothing. It's, it's full on zero emission. It's purely zero, zero emission, emission vehicles. vehicles. So today, most of them are, um, are, are battery energy operated electric vehicles. I see. But then there's yeah. also other categories, uh, which are sometimes grouped into this bucket, which is plug-in hybrids. So plug-in hybrids. Um, yeah. So you know, sometimes they're using the fossil fuel side, other times they're using the battery side. Um, oh, I hear you. So it's but we're for for the context of this conversation, we're talking pure zero emission vehicles, and in today's world, that's battery energy operated uh, vehicles. Got you. Um, well, I suppose I, I, I can chime in here with a, with a little factoid from, from the UK, because just literally in the last two weeks, I think it is, the UK government has just announced no new sales of petrol or diesel vehicles from 2030. And I think there was, I can't remember what it was, 24 or 2035 originally, but anyway, it, it's come in wow. considerably to 2030. And so that's only 10 years' time. And they made a big song and dance, a big noise about, okay, well, this is, you know, this is an aggressive goal, but we're going to do this thing by Jingu. We absolutely are. And, uh, well, uh, and now I guess the, we, we all have to take stock of what that means and exactly how it will be done, but it's uh, so, putting it out there. So to all our listeners, you know, if, uh, all of you that are subscribed to this podcast, if we all can send like nice inspirational emails to Simon to convince him. Uh, in, in getting behind some electric wheels, that'd be, I think, a pretty good deal. Yeah, I, I'm not opposed to the idea at all. I guess I'm just more, I'm just, I am struck by the aggressiveness of that timeline. And uh, as I say, that wasn't that wasn't the goal originally. And yet, hey, it's, uh, it's a new announcement. So Audi's, I'm always be persuaded. Audi's e-tron is not a bad choice. <laughs> You've been telling me about that one. I, I must look up. Apparently, it's a nice it's a nice thing. So um, that was cool. The other thing that caught my eye, Sal, when we were just looking through the materials you sent me, was China. And um, I saw that the, there are, China has a requirement that electric vehicles should account for 25% of all domestic car sales within five years. And I guess I just took – I thought to myself, well, China's a big country. They must have a very big – domestic car market, and then 25% of that must be a big number. I, I guess that's true, is it? Absolutely true. And, you know, for for a country like China, right, they're going to have to move in this direction. Uh, right. f- f- uh, you know, there, there's a there, there's huge challenges with smog right now, the quality of the air. Um, and yes. uh, I mean, it's, 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 it's pretty dense. Uh, so it's 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 a direction that China is going to have to take, regardless mm. um, of goals or not. But the fact that they have set this goal in in a you know again the largest you know uh, consumer economy now. Um, well, exactly. It's a huge. It's it's, it's, yeah, a, it's a big step, and China <laughs> on also, every level that's a big number. China also happens to be a, a market where the uh, the growth of electric vehicles is, uh, you know, pretty uh, pretty fast versus other places, um, mm. because of you know the the incentives that are being set over there and the fact that you know some these these things are are becoming cheaper 
especially as they're produced in, in mass scale. Oh, of course, and they are a big producer. And we've been talking you know, in, in previous episodes about you know the, uh, the the price of these things is falling generally around the world as more people sort of jump on board. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that struck me was one of the things you sent me was a map of the world showing where mm-hmm. who's agreed to what time frame for um, but the same as the UK, the date from which no new internal combustion engine passenger vehicles can be sold. And there's a lot of well, tw- twenty twenty five was the earliest I saw, and that was Norway. And then there was a bunch of countries coming in at 2030, including Sweden and the UK, as I've just been mentioning. And then really it's 2035 and 2040. But again, none of these timeframes is hugely far away. Some are much closer than others. But it struck me that Norway, Sweden, UK, and US, I guess, to some extent, uh, is, is an oil producing country and yet has some of the more aggressive targets for compliance. And so, you know, it flags up a few interesting ideas about what happens to the you know, mm-hmm. surely they're, they're rich in oil. They want this to carry on, but but no, they don't. So Simon, recall the discussion we had in the previous episode on Texas, right? Um, mm. Where Texas, oil yeah. capital of the world, um, having a massive uh, investment ongoing in renewables, right? Yes, you said. Um, and we can almost think of it as that, you know, the same analogy where Norway, Sweden, and the United Kingdom, like you said, uh, you know, have been historically have been major players in the in the oil and gas space, um, and and now these countries are looking at going fully electric and perhaps with some of the most aggressive goals in the world right now with Norway and Seemingly. Sweden. Um, yeah. Now with Norway, it's it's interesting because uh, if I if I recall correctly, Norway also happens to have the the largest sovereign wealth fund. And um, so. they have some. They've set some pretty aggressive strategies around ESG investing, which is something that we talked about in, in one of our earlier episodes as well. Mm. Um, and that 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 is um, this uh, sort of prime motivator or to drive this behavior is the fact that people really, really, really are trying to tackle climate change to the extent yeah. that it's no longer a. Um, sort of a, a mission statement or uh, an, an emotional connection, although it is, it has become one. Uh, yeah. But the economics are, are even pushing it more so that um, these, yes. you know, sovereign wealth funds or other investment um, vehicles uh, or, or institutions, they're looking at um, clean transportation as a major play. Uh, and in yeah. fact, some are saying that it's um, the last decade uh, could be argued was the decade of the Amazons and the um, you know the, the big the big tech companies. Uh, there, mm-hmm. There's a very large chunk of our, our community that or the the investor community community that's saying that you know the next decade is probably the decade of uh, clean transportation. That's super interesting, isn't it? And 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 yeah, I guess it just struck me that you know what becomes of these these oil producing. Countries uh, that have made have done well, if you like, done well out of the uh, mm-hmm. the old world order. What happens to them in, in an electric world? I mean, do they go the way of, of Nokia and BlackBerry? Is that what we'll look back on in ten and twenty years' time and, and wonder about what happened to these, what a, these big giant companies? What a great analogy, Simon. I mean, um, I remember uh, having that Nokia. I forget it was sixty six ten or you know the, those those solid. <laughs> you could you could throw it on the ground. You can throw it off the roof. It, it still Lost works. Right? <laughs> uh, it never cracks. It's like a it's like a brick. Um, and you know what was it? Two thousand seven. Um, iPhone came out, yeah. and you know it's it's completely obliterated. You know the the Nokia yeah. uh, market share, um, and even Just BlackBerry the game, and others. Uh, it's it's yeah. changed the game. 
Uh, and, Time you know, game, yeah. a question could be asked that, you know, are we looking at the same uh, sort of dynamic taking place in the transportation world where wow, um, yeah. we have, you know, companies like Tesla, right? Um, if you look at Tesla's stock, uh, it was around 80 uh, when we started the year. And in a pandemic environment, Simon, their stock has gone, I mean, it's crossed the charts. It's, it's at five, it's, I, I believe it's trading at uh, 500 plus dollars um, uh, today. I heard that, yes. So <laughs> that's it's, insane, isn't it? I mean, that's just an ins- absolutely amazing. insane amount of growth um, in a pandemic environment. So, you know, we, you mentioned well, that right. global emissions coming down. Uh, and I, I keep bringing us back to this point on the, the investment atmosphere, right? And uh, I, I think just the fact that, you know, a company can grow so much um, in, in, in an era like a, a, the, the pandemic that we're in, I, I think it also speaks volumes about the uh, potential here. Uh, the market sentiment is moving towards this thing, not not away from it. I mean, I, I, so so yes. Yeah, so let, let's just let's just move on then. So we've just been talking really about the political sort of um, agenda, if you will. So now let's move on to the sort of the commercial landscape. And you've just you've just touched on it. I mean, in terms of automakers, who so you've got policy frameworks in place, you've got dates and deadlines, and now you have automakers, manufacturers who need to respond to these political goals that have been set out. And so 2030, for mm-hmm. instance, is not long away in terms of developing engines and drive trains and models, uh, motor models. Um, some of these companies are going to have to make some really big shifts, aren't they? And then others like Tesla, who you just mentioned, simply don't. So, so give us a quick sketch of the, of the current picture as mm-hmm. you see it. So let's let's talk about Tesla a little bit more. Yeah, uh, Tesla's market cap is almost four times um, the market cap of the the big four. Uh, so yes. th- that's 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 a big revelation on its own right. Um, so that's your Fords, your General Motors, those guys. Exactly, <laughs> the, the the big oh the, the big four in the U.S. Um, that's huge. I mean, now, it's just insane. Now um, the the, these conventional big fossil fuel um, companies uh, or uh, combustion engine companies, they have picked up on these cues and they've been picking up on it for quite some time. And now yeah. these guys have started to make investments. So I believe it was yes. GM that announced um, uh, some time back that they're going to invest $27 billion yes. into the development of electric vehicles. Um and that is yeah by um, 2025 as well. By, so that's by 2025. in the next five years. And that's, that's a that's not long. And to they spend expect that sort of to cash. see 30 different vehicle models that are electric on the roads by 2025. That is mm. giving choice to consumers. So I think that's a signal uh, that we can expect some more price movements uh, or more uh, these things becoming more affordable with the um, the sums we, of money that are going in into this investment yeah. area. So Sal, is it the case that Somebody like a GM, are they? They're all in, though, are they, on electric vehicles? Well, they're. they're I mean, they sound like they it, are. They they sound like they're, but you know, like you said, um, it's going to have to be a transition, right? Just like it is on yeah. a political spectrum uh, with the state policies and and legislatures, etc. Uh, it it is going to have to be a transition, uh, and we're going to have to, you know, sort. We're slowly weaning away from this, and we're truly seeing yeah. the economics here. Uh, in part, but it's a very big bet, isn't it? It, effectively it is but the you know the the market is rewarding it right so um yeah, yeah. Where, where there is uh where there is risk there is reward and right now and given the case of tesla it's a, it's a very it's a pretty beautiful reward <laughs> it um, is and i saw in that article again that the 40 percent of all vehicles they, they, they estimate don't they that 40 percent of all vehicles sold in the u.s will be electric in the next five yes. years 
Yep, yep. And, and that, uh, that's why they're doing it, because they see that market size and think, hell, I want to be part of this. Absolutely. And, you know, we're, we're talking about, um, again, it's important to understand that the uh, electric vehicles or the clean transportation market is not just limited to these electric vehicles like the ones that we usually think of uh, or personal, personal mm-hmm. use vehicles. Uh, it also includes uh, buses. I mean, that's an other uh, exploding yeah. market where uh, many, many metropolitan areas around the world are looking at converting their bus fleets to be fully electric. New York City, um, you know, one of the largest uh, cities in the United States has such a mandate. And um, right. I can list, you know, several around uh, around the world that have similar mandates. And so there, there's parallel to this personal use vehicles. There is a transition on the just the mass public scale. You know, how, can we take trains to be electric, right? Can we can we get trains mm. uh, to be fully electric? Um, yep. Can we get ships? Many are certainly in Europe. Exactly. Um, many trains here are. And, uh, can uh, we get for a long time? Can we get cruise ships? Uh, can we get um, <clears throat> uh, some of these larger fleet vehicles from logistic companies, etc.? Can you know? Can mm. we can we get everything electrified? Uh, is the is sort of the name of the game right now? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Um, we, I, I for one, see a a major shift towards that from. Um, other companies or other players as well in our in our market that were previously very much tied to conventionals. Got you. So 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 auto manufacturers are, are swinging behind this thing. GM in particular making a very big bet. I saw also you sent me this thing that BW are mm-hmm. going to cease development of new internal mm-hmm. combustion um, powered cars in the middle of this decade. So they they're not going to do any any more work on their on their engines traditional engine technology uh, within a couple of years of today uh, so they they too have obviously got electric models and are gonna gonna switch away from it um volvo i think have said something similar etc so so manufacturers are gonna have to really try and catch up with with tesla it seems and so so if that's what the manufacturers are doing um evs are definitely becoming more attractive than as a proposition but but is the demand really there i guess uh, the demand is there. It's uh, it's it's growing. Um, again, let's look at Tesla as an example. Um, uh, they have sold uh, five hundred thousand vehicles, um, uh, uh, j- just you know, year to date, and um, yeah. that that huge number in a pandemic uh, is a testament that this is you know um, that the demand is there and and people. Uh, are making a commitment uh, personally themselves to you know help uh, build a better world for themselves and, yeah. and you know potentially their future generations if applicable. Uh, and Tell me what Amazon are doing because that was something that you, I'm sure you mentioned to me. Well, in the case of Amazon, that's that's another big one. Um, so Amazon yeah. have decided that they're going to buy hundred thousand electric fleet operated vehicles. Oh, uh, so, so those little Amazon vans that we see wow. around driving around, uh, their yeah. their yeah, their yeah. their mission is to take them all to be electric. Now, when a hundred thousand uh, electric vehicles are done by one company, right, and, and they're really setting the bar really really high here. Imagine your uh, postal service companies around the world, U.S., mm-hmm. United States, um, uh, the, the the Royal Mail for you guys. Yeah, all UPS and all those guys. And UPS, DHL FedEx, and, yeah. DHL. I mean, just think about the scale here, right? So Their fleets must be massive, all of them. Exactly. Yeah. So um, again, you know, I was saying we, we usually tend to think of electric vehicles as the Teslas and stuff, but 
this is an even bigger market that is the market again, is exploding. Um, and and you know Amazon have announced mm. a, a venture with Rivian, uh, which is a company they've that earlier that. invested in as well. But yeah, that's 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 what they're looking at, and they're they're working on it very very aggressively. Gosh, wow! So the demand is there. The manufacturers are are trying to get uh, <laughs> place their bets and, and get into that market quickly because it's gonna it's gonna explode, or so they think. Um, tell me this then: I mean, the, the, clearly, if everybody goes electric. Sal, um, and the number of electric vehicles rises exponentially, which it, it seems like it may do. Um, the number of petrol and diesel engines relatively falls. Um, can can the grid really handle the extra load? If everybody's charging, surely we're going to run out of power, or maybe not. Um, welcome to my tradecraft, Simon. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So that's that's a really interesting um, example. I think in, in the previous episode, I talked about if you have um, uh, these electric vehicles all charging at the same time, I think I quoted 3,000 of them. It's almost yeah. equivalent to a nuclear reactor um, or a nuclear generation station. Um, yes. Or, or that, that capacity is similar. Um, now, uh, our our grid is as we've discussed before. It's um, in in many parts of the world, but particularly in the United States, it is pretty old. Um, you know, most of our assets are fifty, uh, forty to sixty plus years old on the grid. Gosh, um, okay. So it's in dire need of improvement. So the question then becomes, you know, if if we have like a company like Amazon, right, and they have maybe a big warehouse somewhere in Dallas. Um, can they can they just go ahead and start you know plugging and chugging these vehicles in uh, into the grid wherever their facilities are or their depots are? Mm. Uh, and the question then becomes, will the will the grid be able to sustain that amount of demand that these pe- well, these exactly. these vehicles are going to bring? So you know, imagine you have a a water pipe. The water pipe can only supply so much water. Um, yes. If you're going to ask for more, you're going to probably have to get a bigger water pipe uh, to keep up with the the, the flow rate. Um, same exact equation with electrons on the electric grid, where yeah. we're going to have to think about doing things differently than we have been doing, and that necessarily doesn't mean that you have to go ahead and you know start building new grids or you know building new wires and stuff. Um, so we're going to be smarter, are we? Exactly. We're going to be more intelligent. Right. We're going to be we're going to be smarter about how we approach these problems, and they need to be tackled because, as we're seeing, the demand yep. is there, and the um, and by the way, it's a it's an amazing opportunity for electric utilities because uh, for most of the uh, the developed economies, um, the the electricity demand has actually been coming down for many years. Over many decades, because of energy efficiency, you know, we're no longer using yeah. the 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 incandescent bulbs. We're using more energy efficient it's all bulbs. LEDs and it's LEDs. Yeah, I see. So, so you add those up, aggregate them. So, uh, demand has been trending down. But for electric utilities, this is sort of another ray of hope, where um, the more and yes. more stuff gets electrified, it's actually good for them because that's what they sell. They sell electricity, so they get a you know a larger returns on their sales. Uh, so it's it's an opportunity for the utilities or the electric utilities or the even the larger electric ecosystem as well. Another important thing I want to mention is as much as we talk about vehicles and, and them going electric and stuff, it's very important to remember the the places where these vehicles are going to connect to charge. And that one right. that, that takes me to a topic that is uh very dear to my heart, and that's about uh charging stations. So 
Okay. Uh, what are these charging stations, Simon? You can think of them as, um, you know, basically uh, taking our car to a gas pump today, right? Mm-hmm. Um, except that uh, at a gas pump, you probably get a consistent flow or, or, or rate of uh, uh, output from the uh, from the storage. In, in our gotcha. case, in the electric vehicle side, um, there are different types of charging stations. So there's something right. called a level one, which is, you know, you can think of it as plugging your laptop into a into a wall outlet, right? Now, um, yeah. given its size pretty, and given, pretty the, slow, maybe. given the smaller pipe, um, it's it's a pretty slow rate of charge. So we're talking, you know, hours to days to charge a vehicle depending on its battery size. Uh, then mm. we go a level above and it's called level two. And that's sort of the more popular one right now. And um, that could be found in different places. And it's 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 there's a lot of rebates right now that are available. Uh, a lot of uh, tax incentives, etc., for people to actually well, so you put it in your home. Would you put maybe? it in your garage or in your in your, uh, in your house? Um, and um, with that, you do need to do some. Um, you may have to do some internal wiring in your house, but the, the cost is offset by the, 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 the government incentives or the state incentives that are being given sure. and not just in the U S and, and other parts of the world as well. And it's, again, it's quicker, presumably it's an overnight and, sort of charge. And, from and the, level two is, uh, is, is, you know, uh, a, a step change from level one in the sense that you can do it in, you know, maybe four to eight hours. You know, it's, it's not like a day, oh, it's not a slow charge. And the next, uh, the next game in town is level three charging, and that's what um, uh, what we may see driving on highways, uh, sometimes in Western Europe, and also in the United States, and, and even places like China and stuff is something called a level three uh, fast DC charger, and um, okay. these these are much more uh, powerful chargers, and they can charge a vehicle, you know. Uh, upwards in, in uh, single digit minutes, uh, you know, to, to, oh, okay. to, to 20 minutes or so. Um, so the, the charging infrastructure piece is really important to understand too, because one, where we need to, we need to better understand how the um, electric vehicles or these fleet vehicles or whatever that's going to get electrified, where is it going to emerge? Right. And yeah. uh, I want to bring in the analytics perspective here. So, you know, there's a lot of modeling that needs to be done. Uh, looking at different econometrics, um, you know, zip codes, yes. um, uh, uh, affordability patterns, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, yes. To understand where are these things actually going to pop up. So Because that, these are an investment and you've got to put them somewhere. Right. And presumably, is it the case then that level one is cheap to do and level two isn't bad and then level three is hellishly expensive or something like that mm-hmm. if you're going to install them? Is that is that how it works? Yeah. And, and when, I mean, obviously the chargers that are supplying the, um, the charge to these cars, they need to get electricity from somewhere too, right? So mm-hmm. where do you put those things on the grid, right? And how many of them do you put on? And and can the grid sustain that amount of demand, right? All of these very quickly start becoming analytics-related problems. Uh, well, that's a, or, or massive that's a optimal- classic operational research problem. It's almost like a logistics problem. It's, it's the sort of problem that um, exactly. companies came exactly. to, to ask us to solve 30 years ago. So it's not exactly new, right? but it's applied to a new, a new business paradigm if you will exactly and 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 the beauty of it is with um you know uh the 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 amount of sensing that is available so we're you know in the iot realm you know we have these uh very very fine sensors that we can put on at the grid's edge or even at these uh, charging stations they can provide us so much insight 
into the behaviors yep. of consumers. You know, when are people charging or, you know, how much, how long do they actually wait before they take the thing out, the, 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 the plug out? Yeah. Um, they can. This can feed us a lot of insight to better understand consumer behavior, which then uh, takes me to a really interesting point, which is about real term or real time dynamic pricing. You know how right. if if we cannot or if if a, if a particular part of the grid um, uh, has a tough time getting investments to upgrade it, you know what what other plays could we take? And one is you know how can we control consumer behavior, right? Can we, yes. um, so one way to do it is, uh, the age old man, the age old thing is, is pricing, right? Can we create creative pricing mechanisms that are dynamic, that change in real time, uh, such that, you know, someone may want to charge at a particular time because the pricing is cheaper right. versus another time. Uh, Got you. So you don't want everybody jump sticking their cars on the grid at the same time, just at sort of dinner time when people have just come home from work, <laughs> and we know from the duck curve that you know, there's a shortage of power almost. Exactly, exactly. Now, so it's it's all coming together. But at three right? in the morning, you, you don't mind. You, yeah? Now, you, if you if you talk about the duck curve, right, um, you can very quickly offshoot that um, supply demand balance that is so very essential to maintain on our grid. Anytime there is uh, an offset in that, you know bad things can happen on the grid. Yep. Um, oh, yeah. So it's it's going to become very essential to look at, you know, how do we... So one, one way is pricing. The other mechanism is, can we build some uh, innovative control uh, type algorithms on the grid's end and, and you know, put them in yes. some IoT sensor type environment and uh, with 5G becoming so prevalent again, you know, we, we have access to this very fast communication infrastructure. Can we mm-hmm. um, control, you know, h- how we throttle the rate of charge, but from a grids perspective without any pricing mechanisms needed? Um, yes. So that, that's, another, that's another really interesting area that I see yeah. a lot of application for machine learning. And yet as, a, as an industry novice, and yet, and yet I, I, I see sort of parallels here that, um, you know, the grid needs to be smarter, resilient, agile, um, consumer behavior needs to be understood sort of dynamically. Pricing needs to be adjusted, which reflects what supply is available versus the demand that's drawing. It does speak to a sort of uber-intelligent, smartly driven, data-driven, analytically informed grid system um, for the benefit of both consumers and, and indeed producers. Mm-hmm. Um and that's going to be highly necessary to make any of this really work. Otherwise, as you say, the whole thing will just be overwhelmed by the demand, which happens to be at the wrong time. Yeah, and I'll I'll just add to that, Simon, absolutely, that um, it's no longer going to be a world where, um, you know, it's uh, companies can state they can do it all, right? It, it, it right. truly, uh, there there is going to be mm-hmm. a massive uh, need for partners. Uh, in this ecosystem. So we need yes. partnerships in the vehicle charging world. So, you know, people that make the charging stations, level one, level two, level three. We need partnerships with people that make the cars themselves. We need partnerships with utilities. We need partnerships with companies that do analytics like ourselves. So um, all of these things have to work together. It's got to come together. Harmony. It? Yeah. It's um, a collaborative effort, I think. And uh, without that, it's 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 different pieces working together. So, you know, it's, it's the alignment is missing and um, these things can fall off instead of taking off. Um, yeah. And it, yeah, I see that. And, I can and, see that. And, and to me personally, uh, 
um, I believe the analytics equation is at the heart of this transformation because uh, to me, a lot of those um, operational decisions are clearly are going to need to be driven by analytics, be it on the grid side, be it on the battery capacities or the state of charge of batteries or, you know, how long these batteries last, et cetera. Uh, I mean, it's, it's all big time analytics. It's a, it's a greener future, perhaps, but also a smarter one, I think, but to, in order for it to, to function as, as it should. It's an um, analytics future, too. Well, well, here's hoping, he said, with a little bit of self-interest thrown into the mix. Hey, Sal, I'm just looking at the time that we've been chatting, and we've again, the, we start these things, and the time runs away it with us. It always goes we're, we're so fast. I know. Just like Tesla's acceleration. <laughs> oh, if you say. I, I haven't had the, the pleasure myself, so maybe one day. Um, so I guess it's probably right uh, now to sort of draw things, to, to wrap things up and, and draw to a close, just because we're, we're a little bit short on time. Um, let's just summarize what we've been discussing. We, we've really been talking today about the mass sort of inevitability, I suppose you'd call it, of electric vehicles in within the next decade or even even sooner. So we've, we've looked at greenhouse gases, we've talked about the political uh, agenda, we've talked about the new commercial landscape and the adjustments that auto manufacturers will need to make. And then we've talked about the impact on the grid and can the grid really handle all this and some of the implications and ramifications that flow from that. So that really is uh, episode five of our podcast. That's a wrap, if you like, for today. Um, so please come back and see us again soon because next time around we, we have our, our next podcast episode is going to be called The Holy Grail. And uh, and so you authored this. So uh, but this, is, um, this is about energy storage and harvesting electricity in, in crazy and interesting ways. And getting to a world where where electricity is not so much a perishable commodity, but we can store it in an affordable and practical manner, and that obviously gives rise to an all a huge, a huge set of opportunities and and perhaps challenges and changes to the world that we know today. So, um, sounds like a fascinating discussion, and I look forward to sort of uh, reading all about it, and then Sal talking to you all about it um, to camera, uh, we, as we say. With, so with a, with thank a slight you. hint of Indiana Jones. With the, oh, oh, really? Okay. <laughs> oh, I see. I, I'm with you. <laughs> Holy grail gag. Okay, I, I'm there now. Um, well, thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, please come back and see us again soon. Uh, and until then, it's goodbye from me, Simon Hughes, and also from Sal Gill. Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you. Goodbye now.